0: Welcome to the 111 Health podcast, the ultimate holistic wellness and spirituality destination, where the ancient meets the modern, the scientific meets the spiritual, the esoteric meets the worldly, and the conscious meets the commercial. I'm your host, Cassandra, the founder of 111 Health. I'm joined by our co founder, Dylan, Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator. We've spent the past decade diving deep into all the ways one can access calm and bliss amidst the chaos of our busy and demanding lives. And together, we're here to take you on a transformative journey through unlocking the ancient secrets of those that came before us and had it all figured out. Explore thought-provoking conversations with world-leading experts revolutionizing human consciousness discover practical information tools and practices that empower you to cultivate lasting well-being in every aspect of your life. Become part of a community committed to embracing holistic health unlocking your true potential and experiencing a more vibrant and blissful existence. In this episode I chat to Anand Merotra a modern-day visionary Himalayan Yog vedantic master. Anand is a luminary in the realm of Himalayan yogh-vedantic wisdom, masterful teacher, visionary entrepreneur, and prolific author. With deep-rooted insights into ancient traditions, he leads seekers on a transformative journey towards self-realization. Anand is the founder of Sattva Yoga, a global movement that fuses the timeless wisdom from the Himalayan masters that came before us. He has authored multiple books and regularly hosts retreats and workshops for sincere seekers from all over the world. Anand's impact extends beyond the yoga mat. He's a successful entrepreneur with multiple thriving businesses in the space. In this episode, we chat about Anand's life growing up in Rishikesh, how he found his guru, his life's work, the magic of life in the Himalayas, sattva yoga, the subtle transformative power of being in India, the lineage of the Himalayan yoga Vedantic tradition, the holistic path to dynamic stillness, the importance of sadhana or daily practice, why having a sense of humor is key, the correct definition and understanding of karma and kriya and dharma, and so much more. This episode is for anyone and everyone looking to expand and broaden their state of consciousness. Anand attracts thousands of sincere seekers from all over the world to learn with him. He's a wealth of knowledge and anyone would benefit from listening to this. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's dive in. Thank you so much for coming. Just absolute honor to speak with you today. Thank you. And so nice to see you in person because last time I saw you I saw you for a Jyotish reading Yes. and then before that it was you've been involved with 111 from the start, from that beautiful event we did and so yeah it's beautiful to have you here while you're touring Australia.
1: Such a joy to be here.
0: Yeah and um, there's so many things I'd love to ask you but I thought it would be beautiful to start with a bit about your your life's journey and how you grew up, because this knowledge is a part of your blood. And yes. I just love to hear, um, you know, how you grew up, how you found your guru, and everything that led to the birth of Sattva.
1: I was a. Uh, it was great. I mean, I was born uh, in Rishikesh, which is the yoga capital of the world, you know. And so my guru is the one who named me. His name was Brahmachari Ananda Swarup, and he was a Himalayan master. And uh, he lived, uh, he knew my parents before that. And he lived very, just a few minutes walk from my house where I was born. And so when I was born, he was, uh, you know, after f- obviously my father, he was the first one to see me. And before seeing me, he named me Anand. He said my father went to call him to come and see me. And he said, yes, yes, I know Anand has come. So he named me then and I was uh, so blessed to grow up with him and study with him from... My you know, earliest memories are memories of knowledge and I you know, started meditating when I was three years old and uh, learned the, the whole tradition, you know, and with him living in Uttarkashi, Joshi Mat, up in Badrinath, in you know, all the Himalayas. And, uh, and he was very well immersed in the tradition and he, through him I got to encounter all these uh, you know masters who were also living a recluse life more living up in the higher Himalayas who were not teaching publicly Uh, and so for me it was a natural thing, it was something I felt as always like this was something continuing from my past lives, you know it was not, you know people ask me so when did you have the epiphany that oh that's what I'm going to do, I never did it, it was just something very natural for me. It was not a sudden realization on one day. It was just who I was and this teaching, this uh, this powerful tradition uh, was... I always, you know, just knew that this was really had the answers to all questions of life for myself and uh, for anyone who was sincerely looking for them. So it was a I feel deeply blessed to to have had this life that I have have, you know, to be born there, to have the grace of the masters and and my parents who are deeply, you know, immersed in their own practice and their own tradition. So I grew up in it, and I, it was just a natural thing for me to teach. I started teaching at a very young age; it was a natural unfolding. And, but it's a it never ceases to amaze and in our tradition you know we we never speak to coming to an end you always are because there is infinity to be gained so you keep learning and you keep sharing
0: hmm, i um, love that and something that's i've always wanted to do is and i will visit the himalayas yes. and i've heard so many magical things i actually was in. India for the very first time earlier in the year. I went to Hyderabad and did Panchakama. And being in India for the first time and doing Panchakama was an experience I'll never forget. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'd love to hear about what is life like in the Himalayas.
1: I mean, now we have a, you know, for me, the Himalayas are, uh, they represent really something unique in the human field of life, you know, especially the Indian Himalayas because they really represent, they are kind of the the lab of spirituality, right? So all the experiments in consciousness have been done that side, especially Garhwal Himalayas and Komau Himalayas, right? Of course, Himalayas extend all the way to Thailand, you know? <laughs> And through that, there is, of course, the teachings flew through through the Himalayas into Tibet and China, and Japan, all the Southeast Asia. Uh, but the the for us in the specifically in the yogic tradition, the Yuga Vedantic tradition, the Garhwal and the Kumau Himalayas have played a important role. Uh, they somehow became the place where all the you know people who were sincere in their seeking and would start to come. That especially Rishikesh became the doorway because it's at the base of the Shivalik Mountains and so lower Himalayas. And then from there they would go up. So that became a gathering point um, of uh, yogis from all different, of masters from all different uh, locations in India who would gather there and discussions would happen. You know, when I was born and was growing up as a young boy there, the only two kinds of people you met pilgrims and and rishis, right? Of course, now times have changed and uh, there's a lot more people there, tourists and people from all over the world who have come to learn and and people who are just passing, just there to visit and maybe make a reel. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, otherwise, Rishikesh became that hub. And then from up from Rishikesh, you know, when I was up, uh, we would go to Badrina. There is a silence and then there is these incredible beings that you encounter there who are... Uh, they have a lot to share but they share very in a very silent manner you know and you have to of course you can't just walk in there and and meet them and expect them to uh, to share the, of their knowledge you have to have the deserving power and you have to they have to really allow you in and so now i live in uh, at Sattva, which is uh, about 15 16 kilometers up from rishikesh Main town in the in the valley, on the banks of the river, and uh, it's truly a uh, you know I would not live anywhere else, but there. it's really special. the 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 Veda is so alive there in the land, and you can really go deep when you're if you're really looking go to the depth of the human experience. I've traveled all over the world teaching, but uh, still when I come come back to India. And especially come back to to Rishikesh and go up in the Himalayas at Sattva, you can really there is a unique quality which is available there because of all the work that you know thousands of rishis have done, and so that vibration is very much alive, right mm-hmm. at a subtler level, and for those of us who are attuned to it and those of us who are sincere to go deep, then you can really sense it. Like on the surface, India is a challenging country. I always say it's the only country in the world which you hate and yet you keep coming back. (laughs) Like nobody goes to Italy and says, "Oh my God, I'm never coming back here." You you know, Italy is designed to charm you. You know, you go and the, the romance and the Italy and the light and the, the Renaissance structures and so on and so forth. The rolling hills of Tuscany. So you're, but India is a is a country which challenges you. It says, you know, surrender or perish. So you you know, you can come to India and just do the golden tourist triangle, golden triangle, Delhi, Agra. and but uh, that's not the India really what we call India. Right. The India that we call India as the mother place, as the motherland of the Veda, of the this it is not to be met at the level of the senses. It is not just on the level of matter, it is on a subtler level. Mm and uh, you have to really meet india at that level once you start to encounter india at the level of uh, that spirit then uh, there is no place like that you know and uh, when you go up in the himalayas there it's even much more alive because mm-hmm. there is so much work that has happened there so it's really the lab of consciousness and there is still so many siddhas which are there you know so uh, it's a very special place still on the planet
0: Wow. Okay. Um, I wanted to go before. Now I really want to go because I, that resonates with me. What you said about India, when it's like, when I put my feet on the ground there, I could feel there was something very different about it. And it's almost like all these things started to happen, but it was all below the surface. And it was like this chaos on the surface. (laughs) and then uh, It was just amazing. And people, when I got back here, I couldn't even talk about it for two months. People would ask how it was, and I couldn't even describe it. Um, yeah. So that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's it's difficult to tell that story in pictures or in videos, right? That's uh. So always when people come and train with us, uh, there I always tell them like you know you sh- it's very natural when you go back home, after an experience, people will ask you. So tell me how was it? And I always tell speak less, listen more. Mm. You know, take, give yourself time to integrate what has happened in you because the, it takes some time for the mind to catch up, for you to even develop the vocabulary to understand what's really happening inside of you. Mm. And so when you give yourself this space and the knowledge percolates in your silence, then your words can align more correctly. It takes some time for you to truly understand and acknowledge that shifts that take place.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Um uh, I'd love to hear more about, so with sattva, there are so many facets to it, and I know that you teach so many courses and retreats. love to hear about, as you said, I love this continuation from past lives, and it was just very natural for you. But can you share a bit more with our listeners about what exactly sattva is, and also what tradition that aligns with?
1: Yeah, see, uh, there is, for us, there is, The Indian tradition of spirituality is truly the vastest tradition in the world. And that's why it is relevant, right? It is not a fanatic tradition. It is not, uh, okay, that there is one person or there is one book and there is one thing. Mm. It is an expansive and that's why it is working still. Mm. And that's why anybody who comes to the spiritual teaching of India comes to it through their own volition. There is no forcible conversion. Right. Anybody, uh, you or anyone listening who has ever encountered the teaching, whether through meditation or through breath work or through asana practice or, you know, any of more contemporary teachings which are inspired by India. They have come to it through their own. Something has called them from inside. Mm. And the reason is because it is a tradition which is a living tradition. It is not a dead tradition. And sattva represents that. It's a living tradition so it is not a reductionist tradition a reduction in interpretation of our vast tradition mm. you know uh, there is a reason why as i said there is not one book in india right there is no one teacher there is no one prophet it's not a prophetic tradition mm. and uh, so when you try to condense it to just one prophet or one teacher then uh, we you are steering away from what our tradition's intention was mm? Mm. the before me because i grew up there you know and i live there so i'm close to the source tradition right so there is the source tradition and then teachers come from the source tradition right and then they go out and teach and their students teach and then their students teach and so then you might have somebody here so it's a but they are all starting at the source tradition right Mm -hmm. and then from there one teacher teaches his student teaches someone else and then his student teaches someone else and his student, depending on how far you are from your source tradition, then when you're, you're trying to trace your connection back to the source tradition. Do you follow me? Yeah. So, Rishikesh, Sattva is part of the source tradition. So, of course, when we say source tradition it does not mean that within the context of Sattva, we teach everything that our tradition, has. that's not possible for any one person mm. to do. And that's the beauty of it. Right, but the intention uh, has been to not reduce it, to to not apply the reductionist approach to our profound tradition, to honor the rishis and our masters, uh, because they they designed these supreme teachings to address every aspect of the human experience. Right, they did not reduce the human experience to one thing and just try to fix that. No, they addressed every aspect of the human uh, experience and designed teachings knowledge, specific practices and techniques to address different aspects of the human experience, to refine and balance that. Mm. And so in sattva we teach different aspects, the whole aspect of the full spectrum of the teaching to address and refine the whole human experience, right? So you cannot ignore the physiology, you cannot ignore the breath, you cannot ignore the mind, you cannot ignore your consciousness. So you do not ignore anything and do not reduce the teaching to one aspect. And so our tradition is the Himalayan Yog Vedantic tradition, representing all the Himalayan masters. And, uh, you know, when you talk about Vyasa or Vashishta, Patanjali, uh, Shankara, all of these masters are part of our tradition. Mm. Mm -hmm. My guru was, uh, I lived with him for 20 years, 18 years of this life, and uh, um, much more before and after, right? And uh, his guru was living in... Lal Baba was a, a, another Himalayan master who was living in uh, Badrinath and Joshimath area. And so most of the... on the living master level, they were all situated in the Joshimath, Himalayas, Badrinath, Uttarkashi, this area. But the teachings come from the... Uh, from the source tradition of uh, of the Yoga Vedanta. When I say use, use the word Vedanta, it refers to the whole Vedic... Mm-hmm. Uh, field of knowledge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the intention sattva really means dynamic stillness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means also wholeness so the tradition is whole on it's a holistic mm-hmm. when you use the word holistic meaning not reductionist using as you grow you keep adding and you keep growing mm-hmm. you know so it's a just like a molecule is the whole on to the atom and the cell is the whole on to the to the molecule, when you bring more molecules together, something new happens. Mm. And that happening is called a cell. And all of a sudden, cell is alive, mm. right? A molecule is not considered alive from our standpoint. If you're mm. speaking from a biological standpoint, uh, even though the building block of life is, is is molecules, right? And the building block of molecules is atoms. But there we do not detect life. But by the mere act of coming together, something new happens, mm. Right, so a cell actually doesn't exist. What exists is molecules, and a molecule mm-hmm. doesn't exist. What exists is atom, and then an mm-hmm. atom doesn't exist. What ex- exists is subatomic particles. But there is a thing of coming together. That's how nature is designed. When you bring it together in that unity, which is the word yoga really means unity, right? Unity, consciousness, third eye center. Something new starts to happen, mm-hmm. and that happening brings forth a whole new level of intelligence, a whole new level of expression. And so in our tradition, that's how the teachings are designed, that you, the different aspects of the teachings are presented. Mm. That is called sankhya, meaning dividing, so that you, for the benefit of our ability to understand, that you approach it, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then you create yoga, united, mm. and then you say sankhya, and then you united. And so that aids in your ability to understand, but then you have to, to progress, you have to bring it together. Mm. So that's how even in Bhagavad Gita, you know, which is considered one of the biggest scriptures, singular works on, uh, on the yogic tradition, Krishna is speaking about different aspects of yoga. He's not speaking, some people's speak, oh, he's teaching different parts of yoga. He's not speaking of different paths or different parts, different aspects. Mm. Just like a, you know, your hand is not a path to your body, it's a part of your mm. body. Right. If I decide to say that, oh, my left hand is my whole body and this is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Who am I kidding? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My my left hand is as important as my my right foot or left foot. You know, the whole body, Mm -hmm. every part of the body is the body. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about Ashta Anga also, it's not eight steps to yoga. It is eight aspects. Mm -hmm. So, this, the sattva is designed in that way. It's a holistic practice, which includes a whole source tradition teachings to the best of our ability, uh, which are designed to uplift the human experience mm. inside and out.
0: So it's like that, that, you know, the whole being greater than some of its parts. That, exactly. And so what are the um, aspects or main building blocks?
1: You see, the base practice is meditation. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is the base practice which everybody who comes has to. As a technique, everybody learns and practices meditation. That our first, and then we have uh, yoga. We have kriya. We have breath work. We have mantra sadhana. Different aspects of the mantra practices, and of course, supreme knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then we have initiation practices, which are specific techniques. Uh, which you do based on w- w- what's the level of your development, whether you're doing a Dashamavidya practice or you're doing a Shriyantra practice. So then you mm-hmm. build on it. But first you have foundation clear through meditation, a certain Kriya and breath work practice, which are foundation practices mm-hmm. to where you create a nice base. And then from there, depending on where you are at, depending on what season of life you are in, mm-hmm. you, you know, you first cultivate that deep transcendent awareness. And then in the relative field, you keep building on it. Right? Mm-hmm. So the pillars are meditation uh, on the level of technique kriya breathwork mantra sadhana and then deep initiation practices these become the four player and then of course they are all supported and tied together through knowledge right mm. wisdom and then you build on it
0: mm. amazing and you know something i've noticed about you is that You know, you have a lot going on. (laughs) Uh, You have many, uh, many things going on, many businesses, countless people coming to your courses and retreats. But when I've interacted with you, I felt this sense of deep calm and grace with navigating life. And something we talk about a lot at 111 is how can one cultivate that lasting baseline of calm and bliss, even if life is chaotic and there's lots going on. Um, what would you say is the key to that?
1: You see the, this whole stress only comes from misidentification of self. And when there is this false idea of I am the doer, there's only stress to be had. You, you, you can't do nothing as an isolated if you identify as an isolated speck of awareness encased in a body mass, then uh, you are you have a lot to deal with. you know you're dealing with infinity in all directions then uh, you don't have to have the requisite capacity to meet life because life mm-hmm. is grander than you. So it doesn't matter what you do. You always come up in- inadequate, mm-hmm. you know. So in our teaching, the, first, the fundamental thing first you're working at is self. For self is the source. And when you realize, when you start to expand your consciousness, your identity starts to shift. Then it's not you as a doer, but it's happening through you. And when it's happening through your nature's intelligence is designing it all, organizing it all. You're just a conduit, a channel to allow it to happen. And so you're not trying to control anything. Right? The more you try to control, the more you realize you're not in control. Right? So that you become more and more frustrated. And so it, it, when you are living from that source intelligence, and you have the proper technology and practices which help you align with that and generate enough shakti in you, because we're not generating the shakti then you always feel there is a crisis of energy. Mm. Right? You always feel there is not enough energy in the system to meet the demands. And you feel this idea is overwhelm. I have too much going on or too little going on. These are just words. Mm. But ultimately, the experience is that you feel inadequate. And that inadequate feeling is because you have, if we are not connecting to the source energy, which is really sub- organizing the whole intergalactic universe, you're plugged into that. Mm. And if you do not know how to harness that, then you always will feel lack. And so we have to learn to harness that energy. When we are consistently working with that energy, then you start to realize your sense of self starts to shift, right? So you are not a isolated speck of awareness encased in a body mass, but you are the whole cosmos, localized, right? That's the nature of self. Atman is universality localized. So then you are allowing it to happen, and when you're not trying to control it. It's, uh, it's quite an effortless play because, you know, you're born and, uh, as a body and then you're on your way to die as a body. So in between, there is nothing really to gain because you came empty handed, you will leave empty handed. <laughs> so what you're trying Wait. to possess, I mean, that, the, the life only when you are at this end in body, you feel, oh, my God, it's, we have enough time. But that's the greatest illusion, isn't it? Mm. Because we see death all around us. So And we are headed in that direction. Mm. So this idea of holding on to things and trying to control and, oh, no, it's mine, it's mine, that's neurotic. You, know? <laughs> you, you came with empty hand, you will go with empty hand. You mm-hmm. have in between only to gain, gain an experience of life. So that's when you, your true job is really just to work on that inner plane, elevate your stuff and then bring it out into the manifest reality. And so when you are maintaining that, and that's what our tradition is fundamentally designed to do, help you take care of that inner environment. And when you're doing that, the external is really a play. We are here, it's a play. It's not a battle. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a battle. We designed battle. It's a play. We are here to play. We are here for really not that long, you know. Mm. We came empty and it's like, you know, you go to the beach here, you know, and... as a kid, you might make sand castles and you make the sand castle and you might get really involved in making the sand castle and you want to make, oh, my sand castle is bigger than your sand castle and you get so involved and you make very intricate designs and then the mother says, hey, it's time to go back home and the child is called back and the child now has to leave that sand castle and you go next morning, the ocean takes it away, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing is what we do. So we, this idea of, Oh, I have a lot. It's mine, and I am the. These are all illusions of the mind, right? <laughs> so our tradition, our this beautiful teachings, design us to take care of the self. Get learn to get out of the way. Hmm. When you learn to get out of the way, then uh, it's a very effortless play that's happening. You know, it's life is happening, and you are here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that analogy, and it just reminds me of sometimes I think about how humor it, humorous it is. Yes. And I love that because it just puts things in perspective, and yeah, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the human experience, you know, if we truly look at it, you find at the base of it is humor. I mean, all <laughs> of our human experience, what all we give meaning to is self created, right? All the human theater, its we have created and given it meaning. Everything has a meaning because we give it permission to have that meaning. Outside of our permission and our ideas, none of it has any meaning, right? And so when you truly look at it, you find that the base of it is, that's why Buddha is always laughing, right? Uh, <laughs> Kali is, is screaming in our laughter. So that base <laughs> laughter is there at the core of human ex- experience. That's as, at the base of existence is this laughter of the divine. It's a, mm. it's a leela, that's the word that is used in Sanskrit. Leela, it's a play. <laughs> I love so. God
0: has a sense of humor. Absolutely.
1: Really Divine Mother is always laughing. <laughs> uh, so
0: good to hear that. So I do laugh a lot. So yeah. good to know. That I'm on My mar-
1: Master always said, you know, Maharaji always used to say, if you are with a teacher who doesn't laugh and doesn't laugh hard, run. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah. because you have to, uh, then he's got it totally off, you know. Because the more <laughs> you come to the base connection with the truth, even when you encounter the pain of human experience of course you have to go through that but as you keep going deeper then you come to that uh, realization of that human the fundamental humor that is there in uh, existence you know it's a it's a play of divine
0: (laughs) I love that I really resonate with it even sometimes situations can get so ridiculous you think who is a script writer this this is so funny (laughs) oh beautiful and so, one thing I'd love to hear from you, and which is, you know, daily routine rituals is so fundamental for everybody. Um, without needing to know every private detail of your life, what is it that you do each day? Do you have a specific morning routine?
1: Yeah, I mean, I get up, uh, you know, four or five in the morning and uh, I have two, three hours of practice every day. Um And evening as well, you know, before I do not go to bed without practice, my sadhana. And uh, I think it's very crucial, you know, what you do. Because uh, I I always talk about, like, you just have one day to live. You know, you have to take your life one day at a time. Mm -hmm. You can have a vision for the big life, but you have to live one day. And live one day because your life can only be the way you live your day. Right, And ultimately, the way you are living your life is the way you're going to die. So mm. in your day is the whole thing. So how you design your day is uh, at so crucial. So, you know, if we do not have conscious rituals, if we don't have a conscious design to our life, then uh, unconscious habits take over. And uh, before we know it, it's, we feel defeated. Mm. So, uh, you know, sadhana is so important. The word, word Sanskrit word sadhana really means tuning you know because there is the there is celestial music playing but if your instrument is out of tune then there is not music but noise that you are creating mm. so if you are have if you're tuning the instrument then the music just plays effortlessly through you and so for me the sadhana is the anchor point you know and then the whole day unfolds from that place that i generate and it just unfolds from that place you know i'm uh, 40 years of age in this body now and there has not been a single day ever since I started to do my practice that I've missed irrespective of where I am and uh, that's for me it's not even a practice no more right it's just it's a natural it's just who I am Mm. and so I think uh, everyone should have conscious uh, organizing practices that help align you on an inner state morning and uh, and evening and 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 then, of course, what you put into the body, what you consume specifically now, even what you consume on the level of information, and it's crucial to be aware of that Mm. so that you are not being, you know, because we are living in the first time uh, in the recent history where there is overwhelming amount of data which your brain has to process. So it's as crucial to be aware of what you're putting into your uh, brain through data consumption as what you're putting in the body.
0: Mm, so true where there's so much more information and things to stimulate the mind and I guess going on an information diet <laughs> is what you're saying um, yeah it's it's so true everything you're saying I know that myself since starting you know my own sudden it, it feels it would feel wrong or or weird or difficult not to do it because you become so used to it it sets up your day
1: yeah then you you can notice this when you have not Mm. not done i say people like in the beginning when people are cultivating sadhana they're learning to you know establish daily practice so i tell them it's a good way to like when you don't have your practice don't brush your teeth that day You know, Mm. then you're aware. Oh my God, there's something off. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Something's (laughs) not quite right with this. Because you're, you're, you know, if you're not brushing your inner system, that makes you more stinky than than not brushing your teeth actually. (laughs) Yeah, I used to joke about this. I say
0: I would rather not brush my teeth and not meditate. (laughs) Really, and people, oh, that's gross. No, really, truly, because it you once you it just becomes a part of your day. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'd love to ask you is, um, I think that this concept of what karma is, is very misunderstood, particularly in the West. And I know myself, before I came across this knowledge, I didn't quite get it. Um, I'd love you to just elaborate a bit more on this concept of karma, kriya, dharma.
1: Mm-hmm. See, the, uh, the word karma comes from the root ka. Ka is the root for samaya, time. So ka is kala kala is time in sanskrit every every word has many synonyms but it's uniquely the word for tomorrow and yesterday is the same it's called kal uh, tomorrow is kal yesterday is kal intentionally kala is time kala is death kala is also illusion yes so the w- embedded within the language is the is the meaning mm. So time is, a, is, is the first trick of the creative intelligence of existence, right? If there, wherever there is time, there is space, space, and time they go together. Uh, but it is not the fundamental reality. Now, whenever there is time, there is going to be action. Mm-hmm. Uh, in time, nobody can be inactive, whether it is on an inner plane or external plane. Inaction is not a possibility. Everybody... Anything that exists in time is active, mm. because time itself is activity of existence, right? So on off on off, and that's what creates the change in the seasons and everything that we see is time playing itself out. Uh, the there is dynamism embedded at the relative level of reality, and that dynamism is change, and change is time. Now, in time, either you will change progressively, or you will change regressively. Change is a must. Mm. So everyone is going to be active. Now that is karma. Karma is purest meaning is action. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now karma is action. It is also the effect that the action generates in the field. And it is also the corresponding memory that the action generates. Mm -hmm. So the, the action, the effect that the action generates and the corresponding memory that the action generates. It's all karma. Now, depending, the karma requires an actor. right? So the actor acts, the actor experiences, and the actor logs the experience based on his own consciousness. So the base is consciousness. So if you're taking care of the consciousness, then that karma, instead of having a binding effect, can start to have a liberating effect. So the action that starts to have a liberating effect is we call it Kriya. Mm-hmm. So the action that leads to liberation. Mm-hmm. So we employ when any spiritual practice, when we engage in the spiritual practice in order to refine our consciousness, that is called Kriya. So first we start to apply intelligent action on an inner subjective plane because inaction is not an option. We apply elegant action on the subjective plane to shift our consciousness on a higher plane when we do that naturally that leads us to take that evolutionary action on the objective plane so called objective plane right so kriya within kriya without now there is a word called krama which is different from karma krama so krama is sequence consistency Mm -hmm. so when you have kriya krama when you are able to maintain kriya over a period of time kriya krama that starts to lead you to dharma then you start to have the experience of dharma, the triangle of dharma. So the dharma is, the first base dharma is dharma of your being, that our primary dharma is to evolve. That's our primary dharma. The second aspect of the dharma is the dharma of the moment of the roles you are playing, whether as a mother or father, or in the moment as a boss or as an employee, you have dharma, meaning what's the highest good. And then dharma is the, the greater roles you might play in different phases of your life. Right, so often people confuse dharma as, "What am I supposed to do with my life?" Right, <laughs> and so we are all supposed to grow because with, if you are not growing and evolving, doesn't matter what you do, mm. you're not going to find meaning. Right, mm. so first prerequisite is dharma. Of dharma is growth. So how do you grow through kriya? Yes, and where is kriya to be found? Kriya is to be found in karma only. Right, so when the karma is unconscious, driven by avidya. Then karma, every action that you do leads to bondage, whether it is a relationship. So sometimes people don't have any relationship. So their problem is, I don't have a relationship. That's my problem. And then they swipe right, maybe. They find a relationship. <laughs> right? And then a uh, couple of years later, the problem is the relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the problem is I don't have children. Then the problem is the children. Sometimes mm-hmm. the problem is My business. And then the problem is, I have no business. Mm. So there is, no matter what you do, the, you can find that any activity leads to bondage. So it's like, we const that's the, you know, the, the Frankenstein story, right? That we all end up creating the Frankenstein monster. Whatever human beings <laughs> engage in, create they create these monsters that haunt them. And then the answer comes, maybe we need to leave the world, right? Mm. We need to run away from the world. But the thing is, you cannot run away from the world because no matter where you go, to find yourself it's because inaction is not a possibility that's what arjuna is being taught by krishna when mm-hmm. the first chapter of bhagavad gita is Dukkha vishada yoga where the yoga of despondency of arjuna arjuna says i cannot do this but krishna mm-hmm. says the inaction is not a possibility action is the law you mm-hmm. cannot be inactive because you exist if you exist in time you are an activity itself so now either you can align your activity in the direction of evolution or you can align your activity in the direction of destruction, right? Okay. The evolutionary activity is Kriya. And so that includes spiritual technology, techniques, practices, knowledge. And when we develop enough critical mass of that, then dharma starts to be experienced. The dharma of growth, the dharma of the moment where you are living dharma in your relations, in your life, in every role you play. And then that, that song that existence wants to sing through you have different phases of life, you get acquired by existence and then existence plays whatever it needs to play through you whatever role it needs to play sometimes it just needs to play sitting on the banks of the river and sometimes it needs you to play you have to travel the world and teach and share and that's just existence doing it you as an isolated bag of awareness is not doing it anymore because that's struggle me doing it I have to do it I mm. hope I do well I hope I perform well there's always anxiety there right? <laughs> so from karma through kriya to dharma Mm -hmm. so this idea of bad karma good karma that's naive there is no such thing Mm -hmm. there is karma everyone has karma and uh, we can consciously design our karma in a manner where the karma has an evolutionary pull to it and that becomes kriya and when kriya is maintained dharma starts to happen so karma through kriya converts into dharma Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's in the time we have on the podcast, I mean, it's a whole course. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sure it it, maybe it helps to gain slight understanding of it.
0: Yeah, no, that's a beautiful explanation, mm. and really, while I was listening to you, what came up for me, is just these reminders of, well, you know, to engage with life fully, yeah, and absolutely, be in it, and this is also what I really love about you as a teacher and leader to many is that you are so actively engaged with life and you 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 travel you spend time in the west you're you know really engaged in businesses and things like that and i think it's beautiful to see that because you really you really embody that and demonstrate that for other people
1: yeah i think you know my maraji always said you know we would go up and there is this valley in the himalayas called the valley of flowers it was one of his favorite places it's a uh, uh, after Joshimath, between Joshimath and Himalayas, uh, and Badrinath, uh, you have to track up. And there's this huge valley in the Himalayas where this most unique species of flower, this huge valley surrounded by high mountains, and mm-hmm. in the month of August, it blossoms the whole valley for hundreds of kilometers. Wow. It's just filled with flowers. Wow. Right, of, of all colors. So we would go there, and you know, in the, because May June we would go up to Badrinath, spend a few months there, and come back, and then in monsoon go to uh, valley of flowers, and we would go there. He said, "Look, you know, to think that this flower is just for the bee <laughs> 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 is uh, is such a great folly of the mind, you know. And why is there so many colors?" Mm. Right? why is there so much diversity just in this valley so much because the nature of existence is to create consciousness cannot not create right? It's just as the, the radiance of the fire is not an activity of the fire it's not a choice that fire makes it's just the nature of fire mm. so the more we are in touch with our essential nature then creativity is just a natural expression of that it's not an effortful activity it's just a natural expression of that the less you interfere unless you you're in the way the more you come learn to come out of the way from that core intelligence in you the more you find that this life becomes a love affair you know for me that's how i see life i mean it's an incredible opportunity to love every day and love deeper mm,
0: so beautiful well i could talk to you for hours but thank you so much again for this beautiful conversation
1: thank you thank you so much
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the One Eleven Health Podcast. If you loved today's episode as much as we did, feel free to share the love by subscribing and sharing it with anyone you think would benefit from listening. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok, where we announce the release of each new episode. Have a blissful day and see you next time.